I would just, you know, be careful where you get your news. If it is too good to be true or too bad to be true, it probably is not true. So if you see something bad about a candidate you don't like and it's really bad, check it out. If it's too good about your candidate, check it out. Um, and I would just, I like, to, I want people to rely on a lot of different sources. Listen to us. Listen to, watch Fox News, watch MSNBC, watch CNN, see what they're doing, and look critically at stories and what people are saying and why they're saying it. What are they trying to do? Uh, and then, you know, make up your own mind. Try to get off your social media feed. You know, don't, it's 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 hard, but and, and talk and, to other people. And the advertising, particularly candidate advertising. Yeah, I would just tune that out. We are looking forward our way from Studio C in the 511 Studios in the Brewery District, just south of downtown Columbus, Ohio. This is Brett, and today we're going to celebrate 100-plus years of public service by the WOSU team. Journalists, directors, producers, editors, technical wizards, and dozens of staff who provide solid information to Central Ohio. We're going to welcome Mike Thompson, who is the Chief Content Director of News and Public Affairs for WOSU. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me. This is going to be great fun. Yeah. We, we're we pretty excited. Yes. So, yeah. yes. Mike, you know, I can't thank you enough for joining us. And um, our uh, listeners are used to Brett and I talking about, we get our guests because I have this wide network. Well, it was Brett's network who <laughs> got you here. So we have to do a shout out to Frank Froz. And so maybe we'll get him to listen to the podcast <laughs> since we talked about him for for asking you to, to, to join us. So Frank, thank you. Frank's a good man. He Even is, though he roots for the Bills. He's a yeah. good man. Oh, yeah. gosh. He's that's crazy. too bad. Yeah. Um, so we have done this in the past. We have had podcast guests come in and talk about the elections process, campaigning. Our goal is to delve into the reporting of elections, and we support the need for an educated electorate. We're not telling you who to vote for and how to vote for issues. We want to make sure that the audience can find the information and the resources they need to be an educated electorate. Um, but first, we want to hear more about you, the work you've accomplished each day, your background, experiences and successes in journalism and news production, as well as the value OSU has to our community. Well, what do you want to know? Tell us about you first. All right. Um, I am a native of Massachusetts. I have done a pretty good job of masking my old Boston accent. Oh, no, I don't think so. Give me a few beers and the <laughs> does it come out <laughs> it again. It sneaks out. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, I was born and raised about an hour west of Boston, and I went to school, got my bachelor's degree at Syracuse in upstate New York, and then um, worked in commercial radio in Massachusetts. I worked a little bit in public radio in Massachusetts. They made the switch to TV, worked in commercial TV in Massachusetts. Um, and then that's what brought me to Columbus. I got a job at Channel 10 here back in, the, in 1998. Mm -hmm. uh, worked there for two years, uh, left there, and landed at uh, WOSU uh, soon after that. And I uh, was glad to be back in the public radio world, back in the public media world, and uh, away from commercial TV. Because I... I you know, when you're young, you don't mind chasing the crime and the ambulances and the fires at four in the morning. But when you've got a wife and little kids, it, it gets old. So um, it's more stable schedule. And I feel we're doing the stories that, you know, they're more issue oriented stories, stories that, you know, matter more than 
sort of the sensational stories that commercial TV right. can be doing. Right. So, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started taping that WSU plays such an incredible role in our community. And, and many of the public broadcasting stations that are connected to schools sort of focus in more on the school and the smaller community. What WSU's reach is nearly the whole state. Yeah, the, the uh, WSU 89.7 FM basically is Franklin County and two counties out. It's okay. a, a good, strong signal. Of course, you know, with streaming now and our and our our mobile app, you can get us anywhere. I listen to us on vacation. Right. Um, our classical station, similar uh, reach. And then our TV station has a, has a wider reach. We have uh, that pretty much all of the central third of the state. Right. Uh, our TV station reaches broadcasting. Of course, we're on cable systems and, and everything else, and that's all changing. Um, but yeah, we, we've got 100 years. Um, 1922, we came on the air. The, it was an AM station at the time. Basically started with lectures for students. Really? I think that's a lot, how a lot of the public stations started. They were education-based stations, and that's why schools, school district-owned stations, WCBE here in Columbus, mm-hmm. is owned by the Columbus Board of Education. Right. Uh, WOSU, many university licensees around the country, um, and we started as education. And that mission continues. I mean, our whole mission is is basically lifelong learning. Our, mm-hmm. My instruction to my reporters and to my editors and my talk show hosts is tell our listeners Every time they listen, something they don't already know. It's as right. simple as that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they know when it's snowing, it's slippery, and you should slow down. We don't spend a lot of time on that. Mm-hmm. But we'll get into deeper issues about politics, government, business, education, arts, and culture. And that whole lifelong learning is our whole mission. And and for um, definitely on the TV side, but I think on the radio side also, it's not just the local shows but you have this array of a national look, too, which we can't get anywhere else. Yeah, NPR is, is celebrating its 50th anniversary. I think it was last year. So they've been on the air for 50 years. PBS, about the same time. Again, education-focused. Uh, and uh, trying to do programs that commercial media won't do, can't do, because of their business model. Right. I mean, commercial media, TV and radio, does terrific work. Don't get me wrong. But it's hard to do a, an hour-long documentary on wildlife on commercial TV. It's just not economically viable. But public TV being non-commercial, some taxpayers support, it it, uh, it can support that, which well, is good for the community. Right. And we're not here as the um, fundraising arm of WSU, mm. but it really is supported by the community. That's where your dollars are from. I joke to the newspapers who are struggling now. Struggling to earn a profit. Think, you know, come and join us. We've always been nonprofit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, you guys are also in a, I don't know if a unique situation, but it's certainly um, as the decades have gone through for public radio, public television, you have three antennas, basically. Yep. Not many universities or public entities have three signals. Yeah, we have. there are a few of us, but... There are a lot of we we call it a dual license. We actually have three licenses: the the classical station, the news station, and right. the TV station. But they call them dual licensees, uh, public media organizations that own radio mm-hmm. and TV. There's there's several of us, um, but it's hard. It's hard to do all because a lot of things. universities have dumped out. Yeah. I mean, namely oh, yeah. the university I graduated from, Miami, sold yeah. it to VXU, yes. WVXU. So a lot that of them was, just can't can't uh, whether it's not part of their focus anymore or whatever. It's they're going away a yeah, little bit. Many universities, especially smaller ones, even some state universities, 
um, around the country, you know, as they face the economic pressures, especially in the early 2000s, the Great Recession, the universities, folk, they pushed in on their what they call their core mission. So things like airports and radio stations and golf courses and things like that, some universities spun off. And we've been fortunate not to carry the WOSU and the OSU flag, but we've been very fortunate to have great support from the university. They see us as a community resource. They see us as an education resource for the community, whether it's news, music, uh, documentaries, arts and culture on TV. They see us as a as an arm of their education mission. They, we've always had very strong support from them over from for a hundred years. All right, good, yeah. Well, there have been a lot of changes in news media over the past decade, as we just kind of alluded to. Voters are now in a twenty four seven barrage of news. How do you see your role in the creation and delivery of news stories, particularly political and election news? I mean, have the methods of gathering that information and reporting changed, or is it really just the technology changing? I mean, the the technology of gathering news is always changing. When I broke in, it was the big, fat, you know, videotape for television, Mm. and it was magnetic cassette tapes and radio. But the guys before me worked with film and reel-to-reel magnetic tape. So it's always – the technology of gathering news is always changing and will continue to change. And you just have to keep up with it. And each advance makes it better. It's better for the listener. It's easier for us to edit and and save stuff and things like that. What's really changed is how people are getting us now. Um, I mean, we radio is still – 93, 94% of the American public listens to the radio at least once a week. And that's largely because of the car. Right. Mm-hmm. The dashboard it, radio is the perfect medium for driving to work and driving home from work every day right. or driving around doing errands on a weekend. Mm-hmm. It's also good in the kitchen when you're making breakfast or making dinner or, or working around the house, working in the garden. So that's radio's bread and butter. T- television is a little further down the fragmentation road. They're not quite where newspapers are, but they're getting there. The line has just crossed, I think, this year. Um, streaming on-demand video has now broken or has come even with broadcast. Wow. How people are getting te- mm-hmm. television. So Netflix and Hulu and streaming is now equal to the broadcast audience. Hmm. And that's huge. And it's going to continue to go more towards the streaming and radio is not far behind. On-demand podcasts, like we're doing now, I know. Um, is going to be the vehicle of choice for uh, audio listening. What we have to do is in Columbus is we have to be local, 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 and live helps because if you're going to get stuck in traffic, you want to hear a traffic report while you're driving. Mm-hmm. The breaking news, when news is happening, our rule is if something big is happening, people – when they turn us on, they better have it on the air. We better be talking about it. I mean, something's really big. Mm-hmm. And that's been our bread and butter. And it, it comes down to trust. You know, if people can trust you're going to be there and you're going to get it right, then they'll come back. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you see age differences when you're looking at those changes in the medium? Is it what's going to happen with older listeners, older audiences, if they're not doing the streaming? What is the most popular format on music radio right now, if you had to guess. I mean, just uh, anecdotally, I don't know if this is true or not, but I scan the dial. Mm. It's classic rock. Okay. Right? Iconic rock, classic right. I'm rock. I'm thinking yeah. 70s, 80s, sure. Yeah. You yeah. know why? Because it's old farts like me are in their 50s still listening <laughs> to classic rock on the radio. <laughs> exactly. Right. The there's, there's a station out of Licking <laughs> County that I listen to that's classic <laughs> rock, yes. Now, the folks who are 40 and younger, that's not how they're listening to music. 
And, yeah. you know, news is different. News is immediate. It's local. And But more and more, the younger folks are getting their news through daily podcasts, whether it's the daily produced by the New York Times. NPR has several daily newscasts. I know iHeartMedia and the commercial broadcasters have moved into that sphere as mm -hmm. well. And we have to do that as well. That's our next move is to get more podcasts. We have some podcasts, mm -hmm. um, but we have to do more of that. Interesting. Right. Yep. Okay. All right. So, Mike, we know that democracy is dependent on fair and successful voting. Um, what do you think has changed in people's attitude toward voting itself? Why do so few people vote? And um, are would they rather depend on families and friends as opposed to news media to get information about the candidates? Where are people's heads at when they're go walking into a voting booth? Well, as far as getting to the voting booth, it's easier now in some respects to vote. And here in Ohio, we have no excuse absentee voting. You have to either apply for an absentee ballot or you can vote in person. It's only one place per county, which makes it difficult for a lot of people. But it's easier to do that than it was, you know, 15 years ago. We had sure. to just show up on Election Day. Right. And if you had to work that day, too bad. Um, so I think it's easier to vote. Uh, vote. It's going to get even easier, I think, as the years go by. I think people don't vote because they don't see how their vote matters. Mm -hmm. um, it's just they see policies in Washington and Columbus or even the most important vote, the, the mo your most influential vote is for your city council mm -hmm. or your local mm -hmm. county commissioner. And those have the lowest turnout because right. they get the low attention. Right. Um, so I don't, and that really has been a problem in, in American politics for a long time. I don't, it's always been around 50% for the presidential election. It, you know, the past couple have been record high and they're still barely above 50, what the high 50s maybe. Mm -hmm. um, so that's as far as voting goes. What was the second party question, how it's covered? How, how is it covered and who are people depending on to get fair and, and good information? Well, of course, it's it's changed. You know, the three networks are not what the, they're still there, but they're not the only source anymore on television. There's your local newspaper. We used to have two in Columbus. Many cities had two. Down to one, and those stage, those papers aren't locally owned anymore. So, mm -hmm. uh, the newspaper is still a very good source. I think television, the cable nets, do okay. Some have a slant, um, not necessarily in the facts they present, but in how they present them mm -hmm. and the stories they choose to report on every day. Right. Um, the story selection that you see on Fox News is very different than the story selection you see on MSNBC. Right. They're not just necessarily telling lies on those on those stations, at least the news programs, and but they're you're only seeing stories that sort of align with that political point of view. It's really a difference between journalism and broadcasting. Yeah, there's always been that tension. I mean, newspapers have, have traditionally always been the place for in-depth news. Mm -hmm. um, they had more space. And radio, you know, in commercial radio, you're limited to, you know, 45 seconds. Maybe a talk show, you can get a little deeper. But in television, commercial TV, you're looking at maybe a minute, 50, a minute and a half for a story. Public radio, we can spend three and four minutes on a story outside the talk shows. So we can spend a little more time. Um, but this, I mean, this, but the resources now for you to do your own research is just, it's, we didn't have, you had to look to the newspaper back in the day to find right. out who was yeah. running for what and you don't know what they how they voted in the past but now it's all on the web right yeah. right yeah it, it really is a google search yeah bottom line the other thing too is uh, often folks only watch one particular channel mm -hmm. um 
And I've always said, if nothing else, just like tap into the others once in a while to, to realize that there is a different perspective. Yeah, we moved, just moved into our new building, and we have a brand-new newsroom, and there we have many television monitors. So we have them on, various – CNN, Fox News, PBS. For some reason, OSU does not have MSNBC on their cable system, which I found odd. But anyway, so I, we, we monitor Fox and CNN all day long. We don't mm-hmm. listen to them too much, but it's two different worlds. Mm-hmm. The story selection on Fox is very different than the story selection on CNN. And I didn't really fully realize that until I was able to monitor them all day long. I'd watch it occasionally, um, sampling all the news from various outlets. But um, it's very different. And if you don't, if you only watch one of those channels, you're getting a very narrow, not narrow, but a narrower, if that's a word, mm-hmm. view of America and what's going on in the world. And, and it's it's not just what they have, but it's what they don't have. Exactly. Right. Well, and and I think it's that we tend to go toward programming content that we're comfortable with yeah. to affirm and confirm what we already believe, and which I think probably lends toward your listenership as well, too. Yeah, I, absolutely. I, and, and it's not a political lean necessarily. It's like you're comfortable in affirming that you're going to give me a bit more in depth. All of my complaints, 90% of my complaints do not come from conservatives who do not like what's on our radio. They come from liberals who say we are not conservative enough. Not conservative enough. If we put a, hmm. for our diehard liberal leaning listeners, if we put a conservative on, some will complain, why you had that guy on the air? Well, because he has an important perspective to bring out. Mm-hmm. And it's, this is a minority. This is, this is like the Term. sort of the fringe, but, um, and that's. A, Interesting. Yeah. That was one of the bigger surprises when I took over as news director that, mm. you know, I thought we'd be hearing from conservatives. Well, a lot of times conservatives are not listening, although there are more than you, more than you know. <laughs> right. And, yeah. Um, oh, yeah. More than you'd think. Um, but it's generally the complaints are, we're not, we're, we're giving too much voice to the other side. Interesting. And it's, it's a few complaints and I'm never, yeah. of course, never driven by them. Right. Okay, thank you for your time. Yeah. We move on. We hear you and, and yeah. thanks for listening, but yeah. it's not going to change it. <laughs> no. But I, you know what? I think that, that for me, it's interesting to hear what the complaints are because it, it makes you continue to think and make sure that you're on the path you want to be on. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, if I'm not getting complaints, I worry. Because right. that means people are Nobody not listening, listening right. or they don't care or both. Right. 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 Yeah. Finance repo- reform is in the news again. Current financing strategies based on that dark money, uh, literally spending millions of dollars for individual candidates or issues, have greatly affected election results. Congress cannot come to any conclusion or conclusions, and donors just keep sending money. Is finance reform a real issue? Can the system actually be fixed? Are we in this deep well that we're just not going to get out of? You know, I don't see it being fixed. I mean, the last time it was fixed was Watergate. Mm-hmm. And they have totally peeled back all of those rules over the decades. And then the Citizens United just basically took the lid off, uh, allowing corporations to to give to, you know, PACs and things like that. Um, no, I don't – Barring a scandal, I don't see it coming back because the Supreme Court has ruled that money is a form of free speech. Mm -hmm. Now, the the critics of that argue that if you don't have a lot of money, then your free speech rights are infringed upon because you cannot compete with a large multi-billion dollar or million dollar pack. Mm -hmm. If you're just a guy who has a normal salary, you can't have the same influence on the electoral process as as a big pack can. So that person's right, you could argue, has been infringed. Does the Supreme Court down the road 
look at it differently. I don't know, but I don't see that happening anytime soon. All right. Mm. Well, we were we were talking um, before the taping. Uh, Brett and I were discussing um, one of the local elections that's coming up, and um, that the big money donor was um, going to start concentrating on a different state as opposed to Ohio. Um, so you know, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, he must think he's going to lose. And Brett goes, no, he thinks he's already won. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. I mean, even that information, knowing who's giving to the campaigns or whether they stop giving or giving more, what you, it, it slants people's ideas of who is the candidate to vote for. Tim Ryan, candidate for Senate, mm-hmm. Democrat, is your perfect example. He, he had an easy time in his primary, ran against two lesser, very much lesser known candidates. Um he right after that primary, he spent a lot of money on TV, mm-hmm. a lot of money ads, introducing himself primarily, and he's he was basically advertising himself as the Democrat who can do Trump things. And what it did was, and his competitor JD Vance had just come off a bruising primary where he had spent a lot of money in the primary, so it took a couple months off. And Tim Ryan closed the gap, any gap there was, he closed it in the polls. So what that showed was to the big money donors nationally, this guy has a shot, we're going to give to him. Because now they can, the Democrats see, we got Rob Portman leaving, we can pick up a seat in the Senate right, with Tim Ryan. Right. Still going to be difficult, but they at least saw that he has a shot and the money followed from the national groups. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Well, and that leads to another question, kind of piggybacking off that, the polls. Mm-hmm. And there's been a couple of, reports now saying that there are certain political groups that are just hard to reach for polls. Do you see validity in that? Do you think that's there? Obviously it's been reported. I think there's some truth to it maybe, but what do you think about that? Seeing that from outside and going through years and years of polls and polling data and reading it and absorbing it. (laughs) Well, it's much harder now because nobody has a landline anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And you all have caller ID. And if you don't see the, recognize the number, even if you do recognize the number, sometimes you'll ignore it. <laughs> right, right. So, so it's very hard to get people. Um, so you're seeing more robocalls and things that which are less reliable than you know one-on-one conversation mm-hmm. in person. But there are a lot of folks who will refuse to take part in the polls, and I, I would, I don't know for sure, but I, I'm pretty, sh- I would guess that is people who are on the more conservative side. People who are strong supporters of Donald Trump don't trust the polls. Right. They don't trust the media. So they're not going to participate. So they might be underrepresented in these polls. Now, the, the polling organizations, the good ones, will compensate for that. They'll, in their modeling and in their statistical mm-hmm, right. uh, analysis and breakdown, they will weight certain respondents more than others because of that. And they've done that for years with race and gender sure, and everything else and sure. political leanings. But it's it's harder. It's just it's yeah. trickier. And you, because you, it's, it's interesting to know that, okay, so – Democrats are more likely to pick up a spam call than a Repu- Republican. I mean, that's kind of what it says to me, which I, I, that doesn't sound logical. Yeah, I think. But maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, I think I think it's it's, it's a whole distrust of the system. And that I agree with. I think that's. I agree. I would say that probably liberals have more trust in the system than conservatives do mm-hmm. at this point. At this point, sure. That makes and sense. you saw it in Brazil. Yeah. The far right oh candidate gosh, yeah. was losing by 10, 15, 20 points. All of a sudden, he he loses in the election by two or three points, and the most analysis there said, in, "Now this is Brazil and South America. Mm-hmm. The people who supported that far right candidate Bolsonaro just did not participate in the polling, right. and they were they were hidden." Well, and and it's odd that too that Brazil followed that same formula of, "If I don't win, it's been rigged." Yeah, it's like, oh my gosh, 
mm-hmm. that whole strategy. And it's like, you know, the, the, the trust in the system has to come back because, yeah, because, because from what I hear from Frank LaRose, at least Ohio, we had a pretty good system here. He said it was the most successful election in Ohio's history right. in 2020. Mm-hmm. And there were, I think, 30 some odd cases referred to as possible fraud. I don't know if any of them were actually prosecuted. And there were nearly 6 million people who voted. So do the math. 30 out of 6 million, and those 30 were only possible. I'll take that odds any day. Well, uh, yeah, I was just going to say, that's that's not even a drop in the bucket. A lot of those are people who forgot they voted absentee and went to the polls. Right. Or they were confused in COVID-confused people. And yeah. that's probably what a lot of those were. Yeah, we're, Does fraud happen? Absolutely. You bet it does. We're, we're but human. It's, but it's, it's, <laughs> yeah. um, but it's small. Yeah. Going, going back to results of polls, I never really look at the polls till after Labor Day. Mm. That's when people really are starting to look at mm. big elections. But the other part of a poll that has to be accounted for is what people say they are going, who they <laughs> are going to vote for is one thing. If they actually show up at the poll, it's another. Yeah, right. yeah there are ways to try to gauge if someone is a likely voter, and they, the pollsters have systems for that. So it's really key to look at a poll. Is it likely voters or registered voters? Because if it's not likely, it's it's much, much less reliable right. that, for that very reason they don't yeah. show right. up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so, Mike, over the past two years, many legislators have charged local election boards with lots of new policies. Um, we'd been on the cutting edge of creating elections that were inclusive and kept our voters, uh, our votes safe. That's what's changed. Do Did we go too far accommodating all of our voters, having so many days of pre-election day voting, um, we were open till seven o'clock at night to mm-hmm. take care of people who had to work during the day. Um, or are we just now cutting voters out of the process with all these changes? No, I think we have become more accommodating, but you know, we're less. Ohio is less accommodating than it was when they first. It started in two thousand four. In two thousand four, if you recall, that was John Kerry and George W. Bush, mm-hmm. the long lines, mm-hmm. and there were and, and Kerry barely lost. And there were a lot of people who felt that it would have been closer. He could have won if it wasn't for those long lines, because the long lines tended to be in the urban areas. Here in Columbus, uh, we had a reporter working for us at the time, Tamara Keith, who is now the White mm-hmm. House correspondent for NPR. Mm-hmm. She was working for us at the time, and she did an analysis. And she found out they moved all the voting machines from the urban areas out to the suburbs. Now, the election officials claimed that they did that because that's where the turnout was higher, was in the suburban areas, and they needed more machines out there. But what that resulted in was long lines in Columbus. Was was that the year that the students at Kenyon College were in line till midnight? Yep, Mm -hmm. I believe so. So as a result of that, Ohio passed no-fault absentee voting and put in the early voting uh, but the first version of that, you could actually vote, you could register to vote and vote on the same day. I think mm-hmm. it was a golden week for like six days. Mm-hmm. And then the legislature shortened that. So you can't register and vote on the same day. Many states have that, though. Um, so I think that Ohio is in some ways easier to vote than other states, but harder than other. We, there's a ranking that we did on our podcast last week where Ohio is 10th from the bottom, according to this ranking. Which critics? There's some critics of this of this survey. Tenth for being hardest, or tenth for being hardest. It's the 41st ranked vote for the cost of voting. Okay. The, the, the overall cost of voting. They give us. They don't give us any credit for our in-person early voting because there's only one spot per county. Okay. 
which which is hard. Yeah, if like you, you mentioned, if you don't have a car and you live on the far south side of Columbus, it's hard to get to Morse Road, which is which is the only place where you can vote. Right. And mm-hmm. um, and if you're in a rural county, it's hard to do that. You know, Washington and Oregon ranked number one and number two because they're all mail-in voting. I'm in favor of making it as easy to vote as possible. Voter fraud is so rare. Have security in place. Have people look out for fraud, look out for abuse. But the easier you can make it to vote, the mm. better. Yeah. And I would think that that the um, having the voting ahead of time and taking advantage of checking and making sure, yeah. because a lot of times when you do absentee ballots, they don't even count them until after election day. That's as we saw in 2020. That's a difference between mm-hmm. each state. In Ohio, they they count them when they come in. They don't release the numbers until right. Those are the first votes we see on election night. In as you saw in Pennsylvania, they they're not even allowed to start counting them until election the election is over. Right. So and that's that, why that election dragged out for a week. Right. And yeah. I would think that that being able to count and check, yeah. check to make sure that it's that they're legitimate, take advantage of that time ahead of the election. Yeah, but it varies from state to state. That's the way our system is. That's the way the Constitution reads. States run the elections. Right. right. There are rules that the feds have to have to have put in place, but not probably not enough to keep it uniform. Um, and then they, we have the history of disenfranchisement among African Americans, in particular, in the South, with with you know poll taxes and quizzes at the polling place, and the Voting Rights Act did away a lot of that. But the Supreme Court has been peeling that back here and there. So, what about um, the notion of having to Prove your identity when you go to the polling places. Yeah, Ohio is sort of in the middle. You can just have a electric bill. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need a photo ID. Other states have a photo ID. Uh, the Supreme Court, even a liberal majority Supreme Court, has ruled that that's okay as long as getting an ID is easy right. in the state where you live. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so many people have um, excuses to not vote, but yeah, you really have to try hard to not vote. Yeah, I think if you have the means to vote, but you know, if you work, if you're a single mom or a single parent, and you you're working all the time, and you don't have a transportation to Morse Road, and you've you you move a lot because of your income, it can be difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, if it's the easier we can make it to vote, I think the better. Right. I know this is not my idea. Yeah, I'm sure I stole it from somewhere, but it's stuck in my head. Election Day is a national holiday. That is. I I, I, that sh- I don't sh- think it cleans up everything, but it answers a lot of those questions you just brought up. Love it. We'll move it to a weekend. Right. I mean, people who work weekends will have to make other arrangements. Yeah. yeah. But I think it can alleviate a lot. Just make it a national holiday. But when you're saying a national holiday, there's still a lot of people who have to work. Oh, there yeah. still are. Yeah. yeah. For sure. But it eliminates a lot of those excuses that, okay, the single parent that has to work, guess what? They don't work that day. They can bring the kids to the poll. Yep. And I wonder, vote. I wonder what the cost of that would be to I companies. We'll I mean, figure I, it out. Yeah. Come on. We, we're throwing national holidays around like it's well, that's you know, true. leftover <laughs> well, they, they, they Come get, on. I mean, they, there's a movement to get rid of Columbus Day. Just change it to Election Day. Right. The problem is, if you change it to a – you can't put it on a Monday because then Bill's going to go out of town and no one's going to go vote. No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Use it as Very a true. Yeah, true. Very I, mean, true. There, I think there are ways but of looking it, at it to yeah. figure this out. Right. I mean, you're right. If you want to eliminate one, we'll put it there instead. Yeah. Right. You know, November needs another national holiday, if you so think about what, it. <laughs> is there, have you noticed any um, anyone moving toward any state moving towards more of electronic voting online? I don't think so. They haven't quite gotten to that. Registering online is becoming more and more common. Right. Voting online, we haven't. I don't know of any state that's doing that. 
I, I, mm. I, a lot of people say we do banking online. Why can't we do voting online? Yeah, yeah but <laughs> I don't know. I think yeah. it could come. I mean, it in could. terms of security. Yeah, in terms security, of security. But the individual, I don't know. You yeah. worry about hacking there. Yeah. Uh, it's harder to prove the individual identity online. Right. I mean, is it you voting for your dad or is your dad voting right. you know, on the computer? But there are ways of doing it. There are. We have Zoom cameras now. Yeah, true. Um, facial ID recognition, mm-hmm. yeah. match an ID, but then you, yeah. then you run into the ID issue. Right. Um, yeah, or if nothing else, it's based on the phone versus a computer at home, yeah. the face recognition right. with that. Right, yeah. Seems yeah. to be good, yeah. Mm-hmm. There are so many challenges for media owners and directors to maintain balanced reporting of news while still making a profit. We alluded that a little bit earlier, but are we able to maintain election stability and transparency when you know the news is inherently one-sided? I, I was... Again, I don't watch a lot of news on TV, but I caught a clip. I was an interview with um, a uh, from Ohio Nine and uh, Majewski, and it was on Newsmax. And I didn't realize Newsmax was just a, a shell for the Republican Party. I had no clue. And it's like, whoa, 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 Newsmax. So yeah, I guess it's understanding what you're watching and what the, you know they're going to deliver. But you know, how can we maintain a fair reporting for the good of the community? You have to know what you're watching and you have to know right. if this what you're watching has a bias is trustworthy. Newsmax is very biased. They don't make any bones about it. Yeah. Um, I'm sure the clip you saw, Majewski was probably denying his questions about his military record. Right. He, he denies those even though uh, the Associated Press and the and the Pentagon have and the Air Force, yeah, yeah basically have, said have, you weren't there. Yeah, <laughs> they have. They've got yeah. stone cold proof. Yeah, um, but he's still denying it, and they're not challenging it or, or repeating his denials, which mm-hmm. are likely false. Yeah. You just have to know where you're watching and try to just do your research. It's hard, though. You know, we I was just on a panel at the Columbus Metropolitan Club talking about does the First Amendment need to be tweaked because of this misinformation that is out there, and it's. I, it, it shouldn't be. I agree. I, mean, I agree with the panelists, but I was kept pushing back. I was like, well, look. And they kept saying, you have to educate yourself. You have to educate yourself. And I was like, yeah, for folks who want to be educated about this stuff, but people who just would rather follow the Buckeyes, who have working two jobs and just don't care that much, they see something on their Facebook feed and they believe it. Are they really going to Google Newsmax or Infowars to see if this organization is reputable or not? Probably not. And they have the in front we're hearing too is that you're being fed by Google mm-hmm. what you're been you've been searching for, so it's gonna kinda direct what you're more comfortable in seeing. Yeah. So even a Google search we were we we're just spreading doom and gloom for this whole podcast, but may not be as accurate as you want it to be as well. To help yourself be educated, let's yeah. put it that way. It's feeding you what you've already researched before that it may be a bit slanted. Yeah. I think the 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 panel, the experts I had on the panel, they were journalism professors and history professors, were basically saying schools should be teaching media literacy, for lack of a better term, but basically teach students at a young age to be skeptical of what they're seeing online. I agree with that. You know, check yeah. it out. Yeah, I agree. You know, let's go back to a point that you made a, a little bit earlier, though, too. Um, people don't vote because they don't connect the dots. I'm voting for this particular city council person. They believe this, and therefore, here's the likely outcome in my community, so I won't be surprised. Mm -hmm. They don't connect all those dots. So really, it's not just teaching people to be critical 
and analytical in watching the news, but to also see how the outcomes, we're, we're always hearing the bad stories. We're not hearing the good stories about mm-hmm. um, federal infrastructure pl- uh, law and, and what that legislation is going to mean specifically in Columbus. Yeah. I mean, it, and I'll be honest, the, the, and it's been a problem for decades, the media tends to focus a lot on the horse race. Right. Because we're always looking for something new. So a poll comes out today is new. So we're going to make a big deal out of it. Who's up? Who's down? What's the strategy the campaigns are using? Without looking at the tax policies of Joe Biden versus Donald Trump, what it might mean, who's getting the tax breaks. It, it's it's reported, but it doesn't have the same sizzle. It, it gets downplayed. you got to do a little more reading, more in-depth reading, watching to, to get that. And But you're right. That's I mean, it's... Your school taxes go up. It's because of the people on your school board, right? Yeah, I mean the voters. The voters will approve a levy, but the you know that the, the school board put it on the ballot. And, exactly, uh, and, and how much the, it's for, and and where it's going to be it. spent. Yep. Right, right. Yeah, I, I just I love the signs where you drive past something being built, and it says, "Oh, thank you to so and so mayor, so and so commissioners who voted on this." Your and bond money at work. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Now, now there, then that's a great question. What does bond money mean? People don't. It's so complicated. And that's our fault. I hate the word bond. It's borrowing. Yeah. It's a two. It's the city of Columbus is a. I don't know how. It's like a billion dollar. Bond package. What is a bond? I mean, if you're an investor on Wall Street, you know what a bond is. Mm-hmm. They're asking voters to allow them to borrow a billion dollars. Right. Right. And there are investors that will and yep. see it as a good risk yep. and want their money back. Probably a 20-year bond. Yeah. So it's 20 years down the road, but probably in the long run, it's a good thing. Oh, I yeah. Guess. It's pretty, pretty you know, safe. That's why, you know. I mean, voters have to approve it in case the city can't pay it back. But the city will be able to pay it back. They'll and that's why it never, your taxes will we'll never have to pay extra for this. You're still paying for it. You're not going to have to pay extra for this bond. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we're looking, we, we talked a little bit about age a, a second ago, but we're really looking at dealing with different generations, their backgrounds, their information, and how they re- react and respond to information about elections and the actual voting process. Um, social media platforms definitely change all of our ideas and we deal with social media differently. Um, Brett and I have um, a a constant struggle with my love-hate relationship for social media, more hate than love. Um, How have all of those social platforms changed how you are doing your business at WSU? We have to be on there because that's how we can reach that audience, especially a younger audience. Um, I tend to think Facebook is by far our number one. Our audience tends to be a little older, both on the radio and the TV side. Um, so that's where Facebook, that's older folks are on Facebook. The young kids are on really TikTok now, Instagram and TikTok, Twitter to some degree. Um, you got to be there. That's where you can reach those folks. Um, I, I I think Twitter tends to be a little overhyped. Um, I mean, you look at the surveys, the people who are most active on Twitter is a very small percentage of the population. It can be an echo chamber, which it can be dangerous for reporters. If that's all you're relying on is what's on Twitter and not going out in the street and talking to people, oh. that's not good. Oh, no. Um, I tell Well, my, and it's definitely going to change when, uh, once Elon Musk actually buys it. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, if he, if he, the big thing is if he lets Donald Trump back on, but that's our fault if we let that drive our news coverage again. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that shouldn't happen. Right. And so I, I, social, I, I, 
my when Twitter first came out, my my joke was my handle was Shant Twitter. Shant Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and um I, I reluctantly got on and I got addicted to it. If you, if you give, ever give that away, I'd like to have it. <laughs> well, I did. I, I don't have it anymore. Okay. I have my, but I haven't been on it in a, I don't think I've posted in a year. I haven't looked at it. I just, I just, I, it got so toxic. It got to be such an echo chamber. Mm-hmm. I didn't like seeing, you know, media people just retweeting the same story among the 20 or so, the 20 or so people they followed. It was, I tried to just go just sports for a while, mm-hmm. and that didn't work. And I just, I just gave it up. And uh, it's funny, I gave up Twitter, but I know everything that's on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> I either hear it from my newsroom, or I hear it on the on the on the news. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, and are you dancing? Do you have a shant dance for? Uh, <laughs> I don't for do TikTok. TikTok. <laughs> I've heard that's even more addicting. And um, I'm a home improvement guy. I've heard that that you can go down a real rabbit hole. On, Apparently, the guy from this old house, Tom Silva, for you public. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He, apparently, he is terrific on TikTok. Really? really? Yeah. Well, he's okay. terrific on everything. But he's, the, he has embraced the TikTok for and really? home improvement and woodworking is just goes nuts on TikTok. Well, and okay. Norm retired. I can't yeah. believe Norm from this old house. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. retired. Yeah. I remember him way back. Then. Yeah. So, do you have any advice for young journalists getting into this? I mean, how do they approach what? You know, this is a fire hose, isn't it? I mean, it just, it's, no, wow. I think, or maybe not. No, I think no. if you want if, if you want to be a journalist, it's a still a very, it's a very good time to be a journalist. I mean, yeah. the, the number of outlets now doing news is, is really a, a lot because it's not just your local newspaper and th- the three local TV stations in your community. Oh. And maybe a, back in the day, t- one or two radio stations in your community doing news. Now you've got nonprofit news organizations springing up on the web. You've got very profitable digital-only news organizations, political being one. It, it, it's terrific. Um, so there are opportunities out Even there. podcasting. Podcasting. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, what I look – basically, if you are a curious person and you want to find out what's going on and you want to tell other people about what you find out, be a journalist. And there's so many – there's so many paths in journalism now. I mean, I, I would recommend becoming a general assignment reporter when you come in. Mm-hmm. Cover everything from the school board to the to the crime to the politics to the ribbon cuttings. Cover it all. Learn as much as you can about as much. Learn everything you can about as much as you can. Then specialize. Go into politics. Too many reporters now want to specialize too quickly. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, I'm an old fart, you know. In maybe my that, day, but maybe that's what drew them in, though, too. Yeah, right. Sports yeah. or politics, because they 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 love that. Yeah, I mean, I wanted to yeah. be a sports reporter. Mm-hmm. I think every sports fan wants to be a sports reporter, but sure. I realized I didn't want to work nights and weekends, and I gave that up. Plus, I just find that I can enjoy sports now without having to follow every third right. third string <laughs> right. linebacker for the Buckeyes. And right. um, but I I would not discourage someone from getting into journalism. It's still a tough business. The pay's not great at the beginning. Weird hours, you know, but it's it can be it's something different every day. You can have an impact, and you can play a role in um, how your country's run. You know, you don't advocate or guide it, but you can share the information about what's going on. Well, and and two, not to be afraid of being in smaller markets, as you mm-hmm. mentioned. Um, one of your former colleagues is now doing Washington yep. for NPR. A lot of the local folks have moved to much larger audiences, so. There, there are lots of possibilities. Um, Ohio State always had a real 
great journalism program. Mm -hmm. I'm not exactly sure where it's at right now, but um, it, we had a long history of good journalism. Yeah, there's still, it's still there. They have, the program isn't what it once was. Uh, Ohio University down in Athens has yes. a really strong program. But right. there are some good instructors at Ohio State and some good journalists coming out of there. Right. And you don't have to be you don't have to have a journalism degree to be a journalist. You have to be curious and you have to be able to tell a story. So mm -hmm. you could be a history major. Right. You could be um an English major. You know, you could be an agricultural scientist and become a journalist. If you right. can write and you can tell a story and you want to find out what's going on, that's all that matters. So internships and, and professional opportunities while you're in school that certainly are, are important. Yeah, absolutely. And we we have a very good uh, internship program at our place. Um, our talk show host, Ann Fisher, she relies on three students who work with her mm -hmm. all the time. Mm -hmm. We have a couple of interns in the newsroom, our TV crew on, on my show with all students running the cameras, running some really? of the teleprompter and some of the, some of the sort of easier technical aspects of the show. Um, so the, the opportunities are out there. The commercial stations offer internships and newspapers. Um, they're, I, out, they're out there. I had a, a word of advice from actually a, one of the TV reporters who started out doing the technical, a cameraman, and it got to where they were losing staff, and he realized that if he could do both, he was of more value, so he learned to be on air as well as doing mm -hmm. the technical. So um, as you said, start at the bottom and don't be afraid to also do the tech because yeah. that could be to your advantage. Oh, in the, the more future. you can learn how to do it. I mean, I, I love hiring. I just hired a reporter. He was up in Alaska. I think there were two people who worked at that station. Oh, my god! What does that tell you? He had to do everything. He had to, he had to do the news in the morning, and he had to learn how to fix the radio stations. There so, you go. Mm -hmm. I mean, coming to our place, he's, you know, he doesn't have to do that. He can just focus on the news, but I know in a pinch he can figure stuff out. Yeah. Right. What do you, you know? think? What do you think about an adult second career? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. What a great encore career. Wouldn't it be? Yeah. It just dawned on me. Not that I'm going in that direction, but I'm thinking of our audience. They're over 45. Mm -hmm. That's why not? You could do it part time. I mean, yeah. you can write for your local, you know, weekly newspaper. Um, there are there are websites springing up that that focus on news and hyper local news in your community. Mm -hmm. Right. And you can. You may have to volunteer at first. It might be just a, a small stipend to, to cover the city council and write a you know hundred hundred fifty word story on it. But you've been in your community for yeah. 20, 30 years. Who yeah. better to know yeah. the lay of the land? We, we actually have an example of that on a podcast. Um, we did a podcast uh, during the pandemic on the creativity of the arts uh -huh. during the during the pandemic. And our my friend from Chicago, who is a former special ed teacher outside of Chicago and all but does a lot of theater, currently directing a play right now in Elgin. Mm -hmm. um, but that's one of her little encore jobs is to do the reviews of the local productions. Yeah. And so, yeah, great idea. My yeah. gosh. Just add it to my little Bailey Wig of <laughs> stuff. Good. Okay. Who wants, who wants to hire me? <laughs> um, one of the things that we always ask of our guests um, as we're sort of pulling everything together is to give our audience the last words of of your wisdom um our our whole notion here is be a, an educated electorate yeah. i would just you know be careful where you get your news if it is too good to be true or <laughs> too bad to be true it probably is not true 
So if you see something bad about a candidate you don't like and it's really bad, check it out. If it's too good about your candidate, check it out. Um, and I would just – I like – I want people to rely on a lot of different sources. Listen to us. Listen to – watch Fox News. Watch MSNBC. Watch CNN. See what they're doing. And look critically at stories and what people are saying and why they're saying it. What are they trying to do? Uh, and then – you know, make up your own mind. Try to get off your social media feed. You know, don't it's 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 hard. But and, and talk and, to other people. And the advertising, particularly candidate advertising. Yeah, I would just tune that out. I really yeah. you're not you know, certainly not getting the whole story on, on right. ads. And some of them are they're all they're not necessarily false, but they're certainly leaving out a lot of stuff or they're right. taking quotes out of context. There's a it was an ad recently where one quote of Tim Ryan is a quote saying he loves Nancy Pelosi, but the whole interview was how he wanted to fire Nancy Pelosi. And he was saying personally he loves her, but she's not doing a good job. Mm. But they took the one quote out of it. So I would I would really tune out the ads, honestly. Do your own research and tune out the ads. And and utilize your right to vote. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Can't complain if you don't vote. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> the world is run by those who show up. Yes, yes. exactly. Thank you. Even if it's the minority of the number of people, yep. don't let don't be be create the majority of voters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Correct. Well, Mike, thanks for joining us today. Listeners, thank you for joining us and don't forget to check our notes uh, in the podcast show notes area for contact information, resources, and and you can find everything on our website too, lookingforwardourway.com. We are looking forward to hearing your feedback on this and any of our other podcast episodes.